0: and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Career and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And I am so excited to talk to my guest today. We met on LinkedIn So anybody who thinks eh, LinkedIn really, no, you can make absolutely fabulous business connections on LinkedIn. That's my sales pitch for the day. Spend 10, 15 minutes every day on LinkedIn, and I promise it will be worth it to you because you will meet wonderful people like my guest. So please join us in welcoming Phil Johnson to our program today.
1: Welcome, Phil. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Deb. Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Perfect. I love it. Well, let me
0: tell people just a little bit about you, and then we will jump into this. So for the past 31 years, Phil Johnson has been an executive coach dedicated to helping executives and organizations to bet on themselves by developing their inspirational leadership and emotional intelligence. He has a master's A Master of Business Leadership Program with alumni who are living in the U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, Europe, Japan, Germany, Bosnia, Africa, Australia, Middle East, and Saudi Arabia. So again, Phil, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I always like to know from my guests how it is that they got to where they are today because I think it's such a fascinating journey
1: that we all go on. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure, I'd happy to. I um uh, I actually created a uh, a condensed version of my journey and as you and I talked about uh prior to coming on air, uh I'll, uh, I'll I'd like to read it to you mm-hmm. and it'll It'll take me about three minutes to read it. And it took me about 35 years to write it. So here goes. Um, I was born in Brantford, Ontario, Canada on December 1st, 1953. Um, So let me back up. Uh, My name is Phil Johnson, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Master of Business Leadership Program. Uh, For the past 31 years, I've been dedicated to helping executives and organizations, as you say, bet on themselves by developing their leadership and emotional intelligence. So, uh, born in 1953, our family lived in a small two-bedroom, post-World War II bungalow, where my mom and dad raised three boys. I was the youngest, and quite a surprise that my mother was in her early 40s when I was born. Three boys in one small bedroom with a coal-burning furnace and no air conditioning. My parents were born in 1909 and 1910, and went as far as grade 8 in school. My dad was a factory worker who never made more than $5 per hour. During World War II, he served as a sergeant in a mortar artillery platoon in North Africa. His men used to call him the old man because he was 29 years old when he enlisted. Excuse me. As a younger man, he had boxed and played semi-pro baseball. My dad met his own beer and I helped by putting the caps on the bottles. My mother was a factory seamstress who left her job to take care of our family. I was born six weeks prematurely, weighing approximately four pounds. My first six months were spent in an incubator at the local Branford General Hospital. My dad brought an alchemy each day in his bicycle because he didn't own a car. I have dyslexia. It's a neurological disorder that I was born with. I notice it most when I'm trying to spell, read, and occasionally hear. It can cause me to rearrange words and numbers in my mind. I didn't realize I had the condition until about 35 years ago. Back in those days, there was no such thing as dyslexia, ADD, or ADHD. I failed grade 3 and I failed grade 5 and was labeled a slow learner. And I used to pray the teacher would never ask me a question. And I rarely made eye contact. Many times the back of my shirt would be soaked with sweat by the time class was over. Getting a C was a great mark for me. A's and B's were out of the question. The damaging effect the educational system had on me in those early years has taken decades to overcome. Uh, Some of my earliest childhood memories were that our neighborhood had dirt roads. Asphalt roads, TVs, and private phone lines came several years later. We also had a milkman, breadman, Eggman and Potato Man, that made their deliveries in horse-drawn trucks. I started working when I was nine years old, pulling copper wire out of the back of factory dumpsters and selling it for five cents a pound. That was my allowance. By the time I was 12, I had a part-time job working in a produce factory loading boxcars with crates of corn. I also worked as a caddy at a local golf course and picked strawberries on a farm. I had money and life was good. A few years later, my mother developed breast cancer. She underwent radiation and chemotherapy, which led to a radical mastectomy. On December 3rd, 1967, she died. It was two days after my 14th birthday and I was in grade seven at the time. One month later, I made a decision that was to change the trajectory of my life. My dyslexia and my mother's death became the catalyst for my journey. It was a snowy January night around midnight and I was taking my dog, Duke, for a walk. He was a blue-tick hound my parents had given me as a puppy when I was five years old. Standing behind a local factory, I decided to go for it. I was going to see what was on the other side of the hill and get back it up, my friends that had already given up on life. That decision began a 55-year journey. It continues today. I became an A student throughout the rest of grade school and high school. My dad died in May of 1974 as I was completing grade 13. Four years later, I graduated in the top of my class from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I also played football and basketball. I paid for my education through summer and part-time jobs during the year. I received a partial scholarship as the son of a World War II veteran. Later, I spent five years studying electrical engineering. While beginning what turned out to be a 20 year career in the semiconductor industry. By the time my career in that industry ended, I'd become a corporate executive. I was traveling over 60,000 miles per year throughout North America and the Pacific Rim. In 1990, I remember talking to one of my older brothers and commenting, is this all there is? I had accomplished more than I or anyone else ever thought I would. In the process, I'd become mindlessly focused on the drive to acquire and achieve conventional wealth and success. But obtaining the brass ring in my career wasn't as fulfilling as I had dreamt it would be. And along the way, I had forgotten the promise I'd made to myself on that snowy January night, 1968. I've actually decided to leave corporate America, breaking away from the herd in order to lead it in a better direction. A short time later, I turned down two vice presidential roles so that I could be in the creation of what has become the Master of Business Leadership Program. Over the years, I've become grateful increasingly for the emotional labor my dyslexia forced upon me. It provided me with a greater sense of awareness, connectedness, and agency. The rapidly accelerating rate of global change has made the development of our emotional intelligence essential. Intellectual intelligence without emotional intelligence has proven to become quite destructive. It's time we began the process of unleashing our human potential. So there you go. More than you ever wanted to know.
0: Oh, my gosh. You know, my, my first impression was, wow. And, you know, the work ethic that was ingrained in you from when you were obviously a very small child by your wonderful parents is what has driven you through your entire life. Um, you know, they were people that we would say salt to the earth, right? The best people in the world. And, uh, you know, and, and I love hearing stories like that. My father was a world war II veteran who also only went through the eighth grade, but to them working was, you know, you went to work, you, you worked. I mean, that was, that was the thing, you know, and, 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 and they did whatever it took to make sure that their family was taken care of. And I think that is just such a, a lesson for so many people. But they also obviously ingrained in you that it was important to do that. And but you know it was it was sad that it took kind of the tragedy of your mom's death for you to say, "Hey, you know, this this is what i'm going to do with my life um but you know i'm pretty sure she's looking down on you and she's pretty proud of you and oh, same with you your father it. so thank you well I, you know you really have been on an incredible journey that has you know taken you from like you said you know the 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 high ranks of of corporate ceo to helping people develop their emotional intelligence so let's kind of start at the basic what the, we all know what in, intellectual intelligence, did I say that right? IQ. Um, you know, we, we all pretty much know what that is. But what is emotional intelligence?
1: <clears throat> a, a very simple way to understand it initially is it's the ability to feel the, the fear and anxiety that change and innovation triggers in us and be able to move through it Mm -hmm. towards what it is we're trying to achieve, as opposed to allowing that fear and anxiety to keep us trapped in our comfort zone. Okay. So why is this so important, especially for leaders? It's actually important for everybody. Um, It's really important now and will be increasingly important as we move forward because we're facing a tsunami of accelerating global change mm-hmm. with a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. Doesn't matter whether the change is positive or negative, doesn't like change. Some scientists estimate in this century, we could experience the equivalent of 20,000 years worth of change or 200 centuries worth mm-hmm. of change. That has never occurred before in our evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are completely unprepared for the drama, chaos, and conflict that's going to trigger in us. So we need to be developing our emotional intelligence to be able to deal effectively with that fear and anxiety. What has created this rapid change? Oh, boy. (laughs) We've got an hour. It's okay. (laughs) There's a... There's something called the singularity. Um, Basically, um, a number of things are converging to dramatically accelerate change. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything's changing. All of our social, political, economic systems globally are changing. AI, climate change, um, CRISPR Cas9 gene editing technology, um, it's all changing. And, um, increasingly, uh, we're being challenged to deal with those changes. And as a general comment, um, We are doing a terrible job at embracing change. There's only, um, there's only two sources of motivation that will cause us to be willing to leave our comfort zone in the pursuit of better results. Uh, one of those is pain. The other one is passion. Um, and hardly anybody's connected with their passion. So for the most part, the thing that motivates us to be willing to do the emotional labor that change requires is pain. It's an urgent desire for better results than we're currently getting. Um, so we're unfortunately going to be experiencing increasing levels of drama, chaos and conflict um, that we seem to need to motivate us to change.
0: Yeah. And I think things may have sped up a little bit because of COVID, but they were coming. I mean, you know, it's not that things just, you know,
1: COVID was a, COVID was a, is a minor blip Mm -hmm. in what's coming. Well, and we, we, excuse
0: me, we've seen throughout history, you know, that these, these changes that take place. I mean, you know, um, uh, where industrial revolution was obviously one of one of the ones um, development of the assembly line. And then of course, technology. I mean, you know, when, when computers, I mean, we had you know, people, you know, people tend to forget that we had computers for quite a long time before you had what was known as the personal computer or the one that, you know, every, every employee would have and, and all of those things. And that really changed things. And then, of course, there was that little thing called the internet. And you and I both remember when we used to have to connect to the internet and went boop, 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 screech, right? Um, and now it's just totally seamless. And and you know, and and when we don't have it, we don't know what to do. I mean, you know, it's we might not be on the internet, but we're not connected. Oh, ooh, ah. Um, and so you know, and and it's made. In so many ways, it's made the world a much smaller place, I think, because we are able. I mean, you know, Europe in, in Toronto, which is a thousand-ish miles away from, from where I am. I've you know interviewed people all around the world for this program, and it is like we're just sitting in the same office with each other, and so now we can do business that way, we can form friendships that way and so it's expanded but as you said that gets kind of scary. It's like, well, no, I'm used to just dealing with the people down the street. You know, I had a milkman that delivered my my you know when we were growing up. Now he didn't have a horse and buggy, he had a van. But, you know, now you don't even have to leave your house. Yeah, we're back to that again, right? You know, we had to go to the store now we're back to delivery. And all of these things just keep coming at us as you said and and I can see why people get afraid I mean I think AI is probably one of the biggest things that is you know is is really spooking people and there are people who in you know who love making things worse, right you know they're telling us oh gazillions of jobs are going to go away and and you know I'm pretty sure they said the same thing with the industrial Revolution and, and other things like that and of course what happened was people transitioned into a different job. And you know, and, and so talk to us more about all of this because to me this is just fascinating. As someone, you know, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, and so you know, I've seen a lot of these changes also, and it's been fun. But as you said, it is also scary.
1: Yeah, I think the big, uh, the major differentiator we're facing today isn't so much change, but it's the rate of change. Mm-hmm. It's the rapidly. <laughs> right accelerating rate of change mm-hmm. and our biology takes time to adjust mm-hmm. and increasingly we're not going to have that time see there's a part of our um, there's part of our old lizard brain called the amygdala mm-hmm. back that, to that old fight or flight thing so whenever we take an action that moves us outside of our comfort zone mm-hmm. Um, It automatically secretes a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol, Mm -hmm. and that causes the executive center of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, to shut off, and we go into what psychologists refer to as an amygdala hijack, Mm -hmm. right, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. When that happens in conflict situations, people die. Mm -hmm. When it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die. Mm -hmm. We burn trust. So, as an analogy, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four year old child, mm. the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister mm-hmm. to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to feel the fear and anxiety that that changing innovation triggers in us and be able to move through it rather than have it control us. So oh.
0: you know, and I think it it is. It's it is scary, right? You know, we don't know what's coming. And and I think one of the things that COVID did was it did scare us. You know, I, I think many people realized, you know, we could could be laid low, you know, very easily. And of course, there's no one alive now that remembers things like the Black Plague and and you know, things like that, which were far more catastrophic from a percentage point as to how many people died, but I think it really did open a lot of people's eyes that things can change so rapidly. I mean, you know, for many people, you know, especially here in the United States, they were in their office on Friday and they were in their home on Monday and told, we don't know when you're coming back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in in Canada, I know the shutdown was longer, you know, here in the United States, it went all willy nilly and people could, you know, states could decide what they wanted. And that, that really got kind of hodgepodge, but you know, it, it, but so then what happened was, you know, so you had that fear, you know, can I leave my house safely?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, you know, all of those things. And and then of course you had the other people, well, it's not going to get you, you know, this is all a conspiracy. And, but, but we didn't know. And I think that was probably the worst part of it was you didn't exactly know because we were getting a mix of information. And in businesses, we have that happen too where you know you you hear one thing from say the marketing department and your R&D department tells you something totally different and then sales weighs in and says something totally different and the 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 people in charge don't know what to do don't know what to 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 you know who to believe and as you said you know they either freeze which means they do nothing which that's not going to work. Or, you know, they run away from the, you know, danger, danger, run away, run away. Or, you know, or they just start yelling and, you know, all sorts of things. And and so, you know, it, all of this carries over. I mean, whether it's personal, whether it's business, but, I, you know, I think as, as you, it, it, obviously emotional intelligence is so important. So how do we have the people in charge at businesses because you work with a lot of leaders. So, how do we develop a, an emotional intelligence with them, or how do they do
1: it? I mean, we're not doing it for them. How do they do it themselves? Uh, great question. Um, first of all, let me just say that leadership's not a position; it's mm-hmm. not a title. Right. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. You cannot manage people. You can only lead them. Mm -hmm. And if your actions don't inspire followers, you're not a leader. Mm -hmm. And that's where the emotional intelligence really comes in. Yeah. Um, So the journey always begins at the same place for everybody. Mm -hmm. You have to have an emotional connection to something you're trying to achieve, a desired result that's stronger than the fear that's going to get triggered in you uh, when you leave your comfort zone Mm -hmm. in the pursuit of that result. And quite frankly, most people don't have that. Um, So what they try and do instead is because they're unwilling to change themselves, the only alternative they, they have is to try and change everybody else. Right. You will do it because I said so. And that's why the current level of employee engagement worldwide, according to Gallup, is around 13%. All mm-hmm. levels of employee engagement, the toxicity within mm-hmm. organizations is costing the U.S. economy alone over a trillion dollars a year. And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's simply a reflection of the ego based fear. That's being generated in us by the rapidly accelerating rate of global change. I'll give you an example. And because of that, more and more companies are hiring, developing, and promoting largely based on emotional intelligence. Hmm. And I'll give you an example of a company that's currently valued at $3 trillion, and they're doing about $600 billion a year in revenue. Mm-hmm. And their primary hiring focus is emotional intelligence. Ah. That company is Apple. Mm -hmm. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, the energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. Mm -hmm. They're trying to understand your pain Mm -hmm. and, if possible, offer a solution to your pain. Mm -hmm. Whether you buy anything or not is secondary to their desire to want to serve you. They want you to have a great experience, mm-hmm. and maybe you'll tell your friends, and they'll tell their friends. Mm-hmm. And If you think about it, that energy you feel in that environment is a very different energy from the energy coming out of the stores surrounding that environment. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of the future of individual and organizational mm-hmm. development. It's emotional intelligence. Right. Yeah, You know, we talked before the program,
0: I'm based here in Atlanta. And one of the businesses that is based here is Chick-fil-A, which, you know, th- they believe very strongly in that. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because one of the things they do is they empower their employees. I learned from somebody who worked there, if somebody comes up and says, I want one chicken nugget, you have to sell them one chicken nugget. <laughs>
1: you know, they're
0: they're not allowed to say that's not on the menu or anything like that. Their goal is to make the customer happy. Now, obviously, they don't want to sell you just one chicken nugget, but but yeah, you know, and 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 of course, they always, when you're done, they are to say something along the lines of, it's been my pleasure to serve you. And it's always interesting when you're there. And I like Chick-fil-A. There's a Chick-fil-A not far away. We go to Chick-fil-A quite often. And it's always interesting to see how that comes across. You know, you've got this, my pleasure to serve you. Or some just get that pleasure. And then you've got those. I was there last week and and oh, uh, there was a traffic jam, which you don't anymore have traffic jams at Chick-fil-A. I mean, they're the masters of getting people in and out and all those things. And so people were having to back up and, and all of these things. And they were still out in the parking lot, whistling and happy and carrying on, which then, of course, transitioned to us. It's kind of hard to yell at somebody when they're singing, right? (laughs) And But it was, you know, they carry that through, too. You know, it is their pleasure to serve us.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You can't fake being authentic. You can try and it never works. Because we've evolved from hurts or tribes, Mm -hmm. we've developed these specialized brain cells in our prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. that brain scientists call mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. That's why you can walk into a room and sense the energy in the room, or you can have a conversation with somebody Mm -hmm. and sense whether they're trying to help you or hurt you. Mm -hmm. um, So that, um, as you say, it's not what you do, it's how you do what you do. Mm-hmm. And how you do what you do, the presence with which what you do um is an indicator of your level of awareness or emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. And so the trustability that creates <coughs> is our greatest asset. Uh, There's actually something called the trust economy because of the accelerating rate of global change. um, We're relying more and more on our network of trusted advisors to make decisions Mm -hmm. because we just can't keep up with all the changes. The trust economy is currently valued at about $10 trillion a year. Mm -hmm. And to put that in perspective... If the trust economy were a country, it would be the third largest economy in the world, wow. behind United States and China, mm-hmm. um, and it's growing much faster than the traditional economy. So the ability to <laughs> lower our walls and uh, demonstrate our trustability is a direct reflection of our level of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm.
0: So you know, we talked about the fact that leaders are not the title. You know, it's it you know, and we see that a lot. You know, the, you've got say the the director, marketing director, but it's really Betty over in the corner who's leading things. You know, and 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 things like that. And uh, you know, so obviously it's important, as you said, you know, that everybody increases and improves their emotional intelligence. But I think what we, you know, as, as I said, what we tend to see is in many cases that that person in charge is not the leader. And so because they don't have emotional intelligence, that's where things go awry. Um, I think we really saw that with the covid lockdowns when people are all of a sudden not under somebody's thumb. You know, they couldn't walk into your cubicle and see what was going on. I, you know, I've, I've frequently said that every micromanager's head in the world exploded, right? Because they couldn't go in and and really see what was going on. But, you know, and and they, I think those that were successful and continue to be are those that really ramped up their emotional intelligence. You know, they were able to pick out watching somebody on a screen. Is there something going on there? you you know, uh, you know uh, they they normally come you know very well dressed to their zoom meetings nice background and not so much now so maybe there's something else going on and that's my way of saying it has all of this technology with zoom meetings and and you know whatever technology each company uses has it made it more difficult because we can't pick up on body language we can't you know there's so many things that that we can't Pick up on that emotional intelligence relies on. So, uh, uh, what uh,
1: what is this doing to us? It's creating the opportunity to bring us closer together. Ah, or push explain us further, that, or, or push us further apart. Mm-hmm. Um. how explain it um is it because per- you have to work harder at it no no, okay you're, you're actually you're actually uh <laughs> developing your emotional intelligence um enables you to get better results with less effort and uh-huh. have more fun, okay, it's not about working harder, mm-hmm. it's about being more more present actually over. Over fifty percent of the results we want, the strategic results we want, come from less than one percent of our activity, mm-hmm. and um, the the conflict, the uh, the drama uh, we see in organizations, is really a result it's it's really energy related to energy physics mm. um, and uh it's actually the uh, what I've been proving all over the world for the last twenty three years um I've worked with people running multi billion dollar companies. thousands of employees and Harvard MBAs and PhDs, and I've been a faculty advisor to doctoral students in organizational development and emotional intelligence. Um, And what I'm about to tell you is the root cause and solution to everything. I've helped organizations generate over a billion and a half dollars in revenue and people advance in their careers by um, through the following process, and it's going to take me about three minutes to explain it. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> we're only actually conscious about three to five percent of the time, and that's fine. The rest of the time, we're relying on our unconscious habits to drive the bulk of our behavior and our results. But when we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. Uh, we don't start to become conscious until we're about a year or so old. Mm-hmm. But we are born with an unconscious mind. And we immediately start wiring up our brain, creating the neural network pathways uh, in our brain that become our habits. And a lot of those have, in order to survive, fit in, get food, etc. cetera. Um, and a lot of those habits uh, unconsciously cause us to give away our energy. And we do it in lots of different ways and how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, all sorts of ways. But when we give away our energy, it creates an energy deficit in us. So Mm -hmm. at the same time we're giving away our energy over here, we have to be trying to replace that energy by stealing it from other people over here. And that dynamic is going on inside of everybody, everywhere, all over the world, all the time. So what I do in the NBL um, <clears throat> program is I show people how they're unconsciously giving away their energy, and I give them better habits to begin practicing to stop doing that. And when they give away their energy, their need to steal the energy of other people goes away because they don't need it. And the outcomes <coughs> of this process is you become a more inspirational leader, you develop your emotional intelligence. You become more conscious about what's going on in you and around you, <clears throat> which frees you from your ego-based fear, which builds higher levels of trust and engagement, which guarantees, and I want to underline, guarantees, career, corporate, and personal success. Because it's physics. It's energy physics. Um, but it's harder than hell. Um there's three primary sources of resistance we have to change two are biological and one sociological the first one we talked about earlier with the uh, amygdala hijacks the second one is also biological it's our existing habits um Once we develop a habit, it's there forever. It's a neural network pathway in our brain. And although we can develop new habits at any age, it's called brain plasticity or neurogenesis. Those new habits are always going to be weaker than the old habits. Because when we're younger, there's an insulation layer that goes around the neural network pathway called myelin. And when we're younger, it's thicker than when we're older. So even though the new habits can work better than the old habits, there's going to be an ongoing, continual internal battle within us uh, between the old and new habits for dominance. The third source of resistance we have to change is sociological, meaning the people around us don't want us to change. Because if we change and start to get better results, maybe they're going to have to change. That scares the hell out of them. And the best way to ensure they don't have to change is to make sure we fail so they can say, look, I told you, Now get your head down and come back into the herd with the rest of us. So even though this process that I've outlined and I've been coaching with uh, all over the world uh, will work for anybody at any age doing anything, unless you have an emotional connection to something you want to achieve that's stronger than the fear that's going to get triggered in you when you step outside of your comfort zone. You simply won't have the motivation to do the emotional labor that change requires. There's another little interesting thing here is uh, UC Berkeley (coughs) did a 40-year study, a bunch of PhDs, um, over 40 years studied the difference between intellectual intelligence and emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and they concluded that emotional intelligence was 400% more valuable in determining mm-hmm. success than intellectual intelligence mm-hmm. so let me just give you a a quick example numerically about the difference between the two think of intellectual intelligence as somebody giving you $10,000 a day for 31 days so at the end of 31 days you've got $310,000 Think of emotional intelligence as a penny that doubles in value every day. So day one, you have a penny. Day two, you have a, two pennies. Day 31, you've got $10.7 million. Day 40, you've got over $5 billion. Day 50, you've got over $5 trillion. See, not everybody can have 160 IQ. If you have a high IQ, your parents had a high IQ, their parents had a high IQ, and you simply inherited those genes, but everybody can develop their emotional intelligence. Um, and the ROI is massively greater than intellectual intelligence. See, our educational system has failed us, and our employment system has failed us because it's focused primarily on our ability to do intellectual labor, and it's done nothing to develop our emotional intelligence. So we are completely unprepared for the future, for the tsunami of change we're facing. So, okay, the million-dollar
0: question. How do we improve our emotional intelligence?
1: Um, you learn to stop giving away your energy. Okay. and, so and Let me give you an example. We hear about people that are energy
0: sucks, right? You know, Vampires. They, this, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so how do well, we stop we, giving we
1: away all, We all are. Right, yeah, you know, and See, and there we, we don't even realize it mm-hmm. these people that are creating the drama, chaos, and conflict mm-hmm. have no idea why they're doing what they're right. doing, or they enjoy so, it <laughs> mo- momentarily, but it's a hunger that can mm-hmm. never be satiated right it's it's become a habit for them, right that's uh, more than that mm-hmm. um but let me give you an example, okay. <clears throat> Here's uh, one of the MBL habits called uh, authentic listening. Mm-hmm. And the key to authentic listening is not to take anything personally. How somebody feels about you, whether they like you or whether they hate you, has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. It has to do with what's going on inside of them. Mm-hmm. But if how you feel about yourself is based on how anybody else feels about you, who's running your life? You or them? Right, Sam, right? Mm-hmm. Now, so if if you like me, I like me. If you don't like me, I don't like me. Mm -hmm. And as ridiculous as that might sound, what I've just described is all of social media. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We bend over backwards Mm -hmm. all over the world, trying to get people to like us. Mm -hmm. So we're That's just one example of how we're giving away our energy. Mm -hmm. And when we give away our energy, it doesn't stop there Mm -hmm. because it forces us to simultaneously try and replace that energy by stealing it Mm -hmm. from others. Right. And that's what creates the drama, chaos, and conflict, Mm -hmm. the toxicity, the disengagement Mm -hmm. we see everywhere. So So how do you turn
0: that into a positive where
1: you're sharing energy is, is you know You don't share energy. You inspire others to lower their walls and connect with their internal okay. source of energy. Okay. So how do we do that? By by learning to stop giving away your energy. Okay. By learning to stop giving away your energy, people get the sense that they can trust you, that mm-hmm. they can lower their walls. That's the the the, the Apple example. Mm-hmm. When you walk into that environment, you automatically start to feel um it's more trusting. Mm-hmm. You automatically begin to relax, you automatically begin to lower your walls. Mm-hmm. That's those mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so the way you help others, the way you inspire others is by learning to stop giving away your energy. Mm-hmm.
0: It, but can you give your energy away in a good way? No. No. Okay. Interesting. Because I was thinking, you know, uh, uh, about people who who are encouraging others, lifting them up.
1: So that's not giving your energy away. Let me uh, let me read you a story here that might help to okay. Uh, Cause yeah, this is this is a confusing subject. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, hang on for a bit. I call this the uh, the butterfly story. Mm-hmm. Let me just pull it up here. Oh. I love that you have all these resources. I've been. Thank you. I've been doing this for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, where is it? There it is.
0: So tell us the butterfly story.
1: Okay. Here goes. One day, a small opening appeared in a cocoon. A man sat watching the young butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its body through the little hole. It appeared as if it had gotten as far as it could. It could go no further. So the man decided to help it. He took a pair of scissors and opened the cocoon. The butterfly was then able to emerge with little effort, but it had a withered withered body and shriveled wings. The man expected the wings to open and expand, allowing the butterfly to fly away. But the butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around with a withered body and shriveled wings, never able to fly. What the man in his kindness did not understand was that the restricting effort of the cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to emerge through the tiny opening were nature's way of forcing fluid from the body of the butterfly in with wings so that it would be ready for flight once it had achieved its freedom. Sometimes our struggles are exactly what we need in our life. If we were allowed to go through life without any obstacles, it would cripple us. Our struggles and the emotional labor they require are essential. For the development of our emotional intelligence, inspirational leadership, and awakened consciousness. I love
0: that you know, and I immediately thought of when you read your background. You know, you you learned from a very early age that you had to do things. You know, if you wanted, as you said, your allowance, you had to work for it. And, you know, it wasn't just given to you. And I think we see that so many times where things are just given to somebody, you know, and, and uh, we're, we're, you know, we're creating,
1: we're creating emotional cripples,
0: right? Yeah, because they never, and, you know, and, and it's understandable why we don't want people to have to suffer, but at the same point, we are not allowing them to grow. Um, you know, and, and it was funny, I was listening to something the other day where it was a, a senior executive or it was actually the owner of a company. And he said he was, he was in charge of the company because of his genes. And of course he didn't mean like denim jeans. He, he meant he inherited it. And he, he, you know, he said, you know, it, it was good and bad because there in many cases, he never had to learn to do it. And, and I wonder, you're like, these TV shows now, I do not watch these shows. These shows drive me nuts. I don't even like the commercials. You know, the, the ones that are focusing on the children of the superstars. You know, I, these kids, they've they've never had to, you know, sell pop bottles or clean their rooms or do any of this. And, you know, and, and we hear people say, you know, hey, we're raising a bunch of entitled brats. And, and then you look at other people. I mean, like I have friends who their children helped around the house when they were very young. I mean, all of these various things. Now, you know, you help them to the degree that you didn't want them to, say, burn their hands. Now, you might have let them get a little singed you know, so that they realize, ah, don't do that. But, you know, you certainly didn't want them hurt, hurt, um, you know, and, and so there is guidance that still needs to be given. But it's you know it is it's that butterfly you know do you want to, it think you know okay I'm just going to help it out of here or I'm going to let it finish maturing.
1: Lots of times, what we call love is really control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's manipulation, right? It's the opposite of
0: love. Mm-hmm. Well, and we see that in in businesses and in situations like that too, where I mean, you know we've all been there, where we have told somebody. Hey, I need to do X. I don't know how to do it. Can you help me do it? And they say, "Just move. I'll do it for you." Okay, gets it done. But then I'm still looking at it, going, "Okay," but I still don't know how to do it. <laughs> you know, and but they thought, "Okay, we're just going to make this simpler." No, you know, they didn't teach me anything. I
1: even if I did it wrong, I needed to learn how to do it. Yep. Yep. Let me read you something I actually wrote this morning. It's actually came from the u s Surgeon General, okay um Dr. Vivek Murthy mm-hmm. He just this just today on LinkedIn, talk, I saw this. <laughs> he was talking about love versus fear, mm-hmm. love not fear. He says fundamentally, there are two forces that drive us in our decision making love and fear. In every moment in our life, we have a choice to make. We each have a choice. We each have the power to build a culture rooted in love, not fear, in both the small and big decisions we make every day. We each have the power to choose between love and fear, and the ripple effects that are created is how cultural change happens. Individual change must occur before cultural change is created. It is up to each of us to be leaders and co-creators in the world in which we want to live. I love that.
0: You know, and how many times have we worked for someone who, you know, the the only way they really got things done was fear. You know, I've, I've had bosses like that where they basically terrorized you. I mean, they were bullies. Now, you know, the nice thing is culture is changing. And you don't see that nearly as often, but there's certainly a lot of ways where people can still do that without, I mean, like I had a boss that he was, he was a large man. He was probably getting close to 400 pounds. I mean, he was a large man. And, um, and, and he, he yelled. I mean, he just he always yelled and he called you names and all of these things. And I mean his way to be in charge was through intimidation. Now I'm sure a big part of that was obviously a self-esteem issue. But what that did was a, it made me say I ain't staying here long. <laughs> you know And we all know that replacing an employee is very expensive. But even worse, I did just the minimum that I needed to do because, you know, I, I did just enough so that I didn't get yelled at. Um, but I certainly wasn't going to go above and beyond because, he, you know, what we need is somebody to say, hey, good job. There was no way he was going to do that. So why was I going to put myself out there to do something like that? And and so he clearly had an emotional I- intelligence of zero. Can they be negative? <laughs> you know? um, but but yeah, we so many times I think... But and and I'm I, I'm deliberately not using the word leader here because the leaders know better than this. But bosses, supervisors, parents—they they do tend to rule by fear. And I think in so many cases the sentiment is, and the nice thing is, obviously this is changing. That by if they if they were to show emotion, then the employees would think less of them. And of course, the opposite is actually true.
1: One thing you might want to uh, your listeners to understand is, uh, whenever somebody whenever somebody gets angry, mm-hmm. you or anybody else, there's only one thing that triggers that anger. It's fear. Mm-hmm. It's ego-based fear. Mm-hmm. And if you can figure out, and it's not always possible, but if you can figure out what the person's afraid of. That's triggering the anger and you can address the underlying fear. Mm -hmm. The anger will always go away. Mm -hmm. So whenever you see somebody that's freaking out, Mm -hmm. it's because they're scared. Right.
0: And as you said, you need to determine that what that underlying fear is. Just telling them, calm down. Take a deep breath. Those are stupid, right? You know, I you know, now granted sometimes they do help, <coughs> but they're not solving the reason for that anger. They're just kind of giving you a moment to catch your breath. But um, yeah, they're, you know,
1: it's, they're in the are in the midst of an amygdala hijack, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they and have and corti- they have cortisol running through their bloodstream,
0: right?
1: You know, and it's even worse when somebody
0: does the opposite of, you know, of of acknowledging it, they, well, it's not a big deal. We don't understand why you're mad. You might not have to, you know, I'm just mad. Just let me be mad. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, and, and, and I think that is a big part of, you know, being in tune with people is understanding, okay, they are upset. Why are they upset? And what and, can I do to fix it? And sometimes you can't do anything. I mean, that's that is the other
1: key, and the being in tune with other people mm-hmm. comes from learning to lower our walls mm-hmm. of resistance, right. judgment, and attachment outcome, mm-hmm. which comes from learning to stop giving away our energy mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. right. you know, and and I love that we are seeing leaders who have emotional intelligence who are able to say, you know what, it's a rough day for me or worse, you know, the company is suffering, uh, you know, and, and I've, you know, we've, we've worked for leaders who, you know, or, and we hear about this all the time, the company all of a sudden has to lay people off is bankrupt, whatever. And, you know, they get the microphones in front of them from the media. And the people are like, we had no idea. (laughs) And if the leadership had shared some of that information longer than, it is highly possible those problems could have been solved. But again, they didn't want to seem incompetent. They didn't want to seem like they didn't know what was going on, all of those various things. And so they refused to, to do it. Yep.
1: Fear can be paralyzing. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. You know, and 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 then, of course, we have the, the paralysis by analysis situation also, where we just get so much information where we don't know what to do. You know, and 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 then it it you know, really does need to be one of those things of you gotta do something. <laughs> you know, even if it's wrong, you gotta do something. Yep. Yep. Well, it, you know, it, it's it, 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 it this this is just fascinating to me, um, because it is something that is so powerful and so needed. Um and I think we see definitely, I mean, all you have to do is turn on the TV and and see what the heck is going on in the world. And, you know, and and realize that in, in so many cases, if we all did just kind of pause for a minute and almost put ourselves in someone else's shoes, you know, we, we're not saying, you know, what was the proverb walk a mile in someone else's shoes. I don't know about some of that. I mean, you know, but, but to just kind of pause and say, what is going on here? Um, you know, I was talking with a, a guest the other day about the importance of uh, de- uh, of making decisions by consensus as opposed to by mandates or majority rule or all of those things. And, and consensus really is bringing in the emotions of everyone.
1: Well, that can work, but in order to lead, you've got to leave the herd mm-hmm. in order to lead the herd in a mm-hmm. better direction. Right. So consensus can work if you're with a group of people that have their walls down, mm-hmm. but it will not work if they have their walls up. Right. And, and hey, go ahead. And that's where the leadership comes in. Mm-hmm. Right. And as you mentioned,
0: we do have to have a leader, um, you know, whether by title or, you know, by the fact that they are a true leader, somebody's got to be in charge or, you know, everybody just goes off willy nilly. I mean, you know, one of my favorite sayings, you know, we all talk about having our ducks in a row. And I actually have a duck back here behind me, a little bitty duck that somebody gave me one time. And, you know, so that I could get my ducks in a row. And one of my favorite sayings is, I don't even think my ducks are in the same pond. (laughs) And, you know, but what that's showing is we needed a leader duck. We need, whether it's mama duck or whoever to say, okay, y'all line up. We're going this way. Now we might change and go a different way later, but for right now, we're going this way. Otherwise those ducks are just wandering every which way. And and the bad part is some of those ducks get eaten by the other things, um, you know, so we do need kind of that important emotional guidance and support that is that person who's going to lead us. That inspiration mm-hmm. for
1: us to. Reconnect with who we truly are and get get in touch with our own source of power Mm -hmm. rather than give it away to others. Mm -hmm. Right. I love it. I love it. Well, oh my gosh, Phil,
0: this has been such a fascinating discussion. And I would love to have you on again to continue it because it is something that is just absolutely critical that we all start not just thinking about it, doing, doing, folks. You know, it's one thing to think about it, but you know, how can we be doing that? So how do people find and connect with you? And, and what are the, you know, tell us a little bit more about the Master of Business Leadership Program.
1: Um, so the MBL program is, uh, is a phenomenal process that produces amazing results. And for anybody that would like to get more information on it, uh, they can meet with me um, via Zoom, I can. I'll send you. I'll give you my uh, a link to my Zoom calendar, and uh, we can continue the conversation. Cool, I
0: love it. And you are on LinkedIn and very active, obviously, on LinkedIn. Like I said, I and and I wrote on my little cheat sheet here after I read your thing this morning. Love versus fear. See, I paid attention. <laughs> cool. Thank you. So very cool. Well, you know, this, as I said, this has been absolutely fascinating. We will have a link to Phil's Zoom calendar in the the show notes. Uh, But, you know, until we are able to chat again, do you have any final thoughts
1: that you want to leave everyone with? Uh, Yeah. Um, The best thing they can ensure their success and that the rest of their life will be the best of their life, is to bet on themselves by developing their emotional intelligence. Um, Emotional intelligence isn't a solution to the challenges we're facing. It is the only solution to the challenges we're facing. Oh, my gosh. I
0: love it. Well, I have been having such a fascinating discussion with Phil Johnson. I'm Deb Creer, and until next time, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C Suite Network.